0: Extraordinary Districts in Extraordinary Times. Hi, this is Karen Chenoweth. And this is Tangie Reed-Marshall. We're from the Education Trust, a national education advocacy organization that works to ensure that all children get a great education, no matter what their background. In this podcast, we talk with educators we know are thoughtful and effective to hear how they are meeting the unprecedented challenge of educating children during the twin crises of a worldwide pandemic pandemic and a national reckoning over deeply entrenched racial injustice. In the spring of 2020, we talked with Mary Lang, principal of West Godwin Elementary, and Michelle Kronicki. Director of Curriculum and Instruction for Godwin Heights, Michigan. Um, It's just outside of Grand Rapids in Western Michigan. They told us back in June that they were trying to provide grace to students, families, teachers, and each other. Tangie and I wanted to hear how that is going now that they're uh, well into the fall. We're really happy to say that they're being joined by kindergarten teacher, Holly Vostat, and first grade teacher, Libby Kluester. This means that we have leaders at the classroom, school, and district level. And each level has unique challenges in meeting the needs of students. I want to start with you, Michelle. Um, at the district level, you've been, I presume, helping Superintendent William Federhoff kind of navigate the uh, difficult decisions around whether to keep schools open or closed. He, he was a signer of a letter. Uh, with lots of other superintendents in Western Michigan pleading with members of the community to be careful, wear masks, and socially distance. That letter warned uh, that if community spread increased, schools would have to close. And community spread increased uh, quite dramatically. And you closed schools on uh, the school buildings on November 13th. with the initial plan of reopening after a couple of weeks, but now you're you're closed till January 19th. What factors went into the decision to close, and um, how did uh, Mr. Federhoff kind of talk about that?
1: Sure. Well, most decisions that um, are made at our district are all are are made kind of as a team. So while Mr. Federhoff definitely takes the brunt of all decisions in terms of you know the responsibility for that that final say. He definitely consults with a lot of people in the community, uh, especially his administrative team and then um, seeking teachers input and parents and, and student input as well. Um, he also works really closely with the leaders at the county and the state level to be able to, you know, move um, somewhat synchronously or somewhat simultaneously. Um, you never wanna be that, that one person that doesn't call the snow day when everybody else does, right? So. We wanted to think deeply about how closing or staying open would impact our community. Um, some of the factors that led to us essentially closing down um, or suspending in-person instruction until January were really about the, the community spread. We were seeing that the numbers in the county were rising, and although we were able to um, stay pretty healthy inside of our classrooms, Um, Due to cohort modeling and obviously a lot of safety procedures, um, just the impact in the community in general didn't allow us to staff um, school buses, janitorial positions, um, teacher positions, uh, support staff positions, not that anyone wasn't getting sick. We had a few cases, but it was more of, you know, if my daughter was quarantined at home. I may then need to be home, and then I didn't have a person to be in my classroom while I was at home. Um, some of those factors were were things that we were just up against and we couldn't like fully staff a building very well. Um,
0: Additionally, I imagine substitute teachers are really hard to find, right?
1: Yeah, they're very difficult, very difficult to find Mm -hmm. Um, in this, the the guest teachers that we do have in our district have been really supportive, they've been part of our systems for many years. And, um, you know, they love our community, just like one of our own, but they prefer that uh, flexibility a little bit. And so it's been nice to have their support um, in, in this difficult time too. I think about the um, opportunities that we had to um, listen to what staff and parents were saying to us. And one of the things we heard um, particularly from the K-5 staff was we're going in, we're going out, we're on virtual, then we get to come back. But then if there's a quarantine, we have to go back to virtual. And so it was very, very um, clear that the inconsistency was a problem. It didn't allow us to kind of gel into uh, a groove for learning, and I, it wasn't great for kids, and it definitely wasn't good for the adults. So that that was part of the factor that led to the extension until January nineteenth to return.
0: Well, that's what I was thinking, also that the you know, especially the little kids, you get them into one routine, then you pull them, you yank them out, you put them into another routine and then you yank them out again, I mean, that must be quite difficult. And I wanna talk with our, the teachers uh, about that in just a minute, but, but it also, all of this going in and out has school level implications. So there's the district level, then there's the school level implications. Um, Mary Lang, um, could you talk through like the school level issues that you had to work through?
2: So, you know, as Michelle alluded to, um, the, the inconsistency of virtual versus in-person was, was one of the major factors in closing for such a long period of time and making that decision to stay closed through January 19th, um, our building in particular, which is the K2 building um, also closed down. We, we've also been the building in the district that's had the most positive cases for some odd reason. Um, our kids are not getting sick, but they're getting exposed and then they're testing positive. So um, we had several, we, at one point we in October, we had four classrooms quarantined and many staff um, out and we weren't able to successfully keep the building open. So we closed our, just our building for two weeks to try to just kind of clear things out for a two week period. So our building went back in person in September, we closed the end of October, we opened back up two weeks later and we were in person for only like three or four days and then the district closed. And we were thinking, you know, it was only closed through Thanksgiving and it was just too, you know, the parents and the families, it's too, it, this, we need the structure of one way or another. And so that was really one of the big pushes um, to stay closed and and remain online. Obviously when we say closed, we mean provide online instruction um, through the end of January, because like you said, these kids need to get in the groove of one type of learning and then we can be more successful with them. Um, But the constant back and forth and back and forth is just not good for anyone. Um, it also has huge ramifications on our numbers and our, our, our counts and our grade levels. So at, this, at the building level, I've had to move teachers' grade levels twice this year. So one teacher started teaching first grade. Three weeks later, she taught, now you're going to teach second grade. And then a, six weeks later, a, another second grade teacher, now you're going to teach first grade um, because – families can choose to move their kids online at any time. So the numbers are constantly fluctuating between how many kids are online and how many kids are in person. And the way we've structured it in our district is that teachers are not teaching online and in person. They're either teaching an online group of kids or they're teaching an in-person group of kids.
0: So this is one of the Uh, I I believe I've read, I haven't talked to anybody there, but I believe in Chicago, this is one of the big issues. The teachers are saying no simultaneous teaching, meaning classroom plus online at the same time, because they say it's just too difficult. So, well, let's talk to the teachers now, Um, Holly and Libby. Holly, uh, you teach kindergarten and Libby teach first grade. Like, is that impossible to, it, like, if you were to think about teaching in-person plus online at the same time, would your heart just sink? <laughs> Mine would. <laughs> I, I think that this has been enough
3: this year, learning the new platforms and the new technology and like Michelle and Mary said, flipping back and forth and sending out devices and then having the devices returned and then teaching the parents how to use the devices and then having the parents figure out who's helping the child at home there's just been so much of that so if we were i know some schools have tried to teach and then have maybe a live stream going in the classroom at the same time i'd have a really hard time managing and teaching the kids in the classroom and then checking the screen to see if that child or those children are participating as well. So I think if it was that live stream type of situation, that would be really difficult. And then if it was something that you did additionally after hours, um, I think you would just burn teachers out because we're putting so much time into whatever we're doing that if we did both, I think it would just be too much.
0: It, it was interesting. We, we did a podcast with um, the folks in Seaford uh, School District in Delaware, and they are doing that. So they kids come to school two days, either Monday or Tuesday or Thursday or Friday, and then they're remote the other two days, and then Wednesday is a planning day for the teachers and kind of catch up. And, and they seem to be making it work. And the, the thing that really struck me was they have a paired reading part of their reading program, and they couldn't really do the paired reading within the classroom because then they would just spew germs on each other. So they pair up the online kids with the in-person kids. So that struck me as really clever, but all the rest of it strikes me as really difficult. <laughs> Um, Is that right? uh, Libby, you teach first grade. Um,
4: Yeah, I would have to agree with what you just said and with what what, um, Holly was saying, too. It's almost like first you have to think about the kids, like what they need to do. But then you have to think about those parents, like those poor parents. I mean, now you're online. Now you're back in person. Now we're doing uh, one day not. Now we're doing one day. Yes, we're in school. And I think it's just so confusing. Um, so I'm really glad that our administration said, you know what, we're just going to stay online line until January 19. Let's make things safer. Um, let's make sure parents know what they're doing and just keep it at a consistent pace so that our kids are in at the rhythm. Um, and then I have to agree with Holly. I couldn't imagine trying to do face to face and online on top of that. Um, I mean, my heart just sinks when all of a sudden they're like, okay, and now we're going to go online. And it's like, well, I got to throw all my copies out that I made. I don't need these copies anymore. I need to put everything on Seesaw now. So I need to sit down and do it all technology. So it's just, yeah, it's a lot. So I'm really glad that right now we're staying with one thing. And then hopefully we can come back and stay with that for a
0: while. So yeah. Yeah. Tanji, I I wonder, you want to Jump on in.
5: Yeah, I was thinking about, you know, before you all decided to go straight remote, Washington Elementary in Jackson, in Junction City, Kansas was doing similar to you, either in person or online, what, for the same reasons, right? This sort of, how do we make sure that we are doing the best we can without dividing our planning in those two ways. And I wonder, you know, with all of the idea you all teach the, the littlest kids, how are you, what are you learning about their learning? Like, how are they handling this? Like, are we learning things? Like, you know, cause kindergarten, you gotta get my colors and my numbers. And then my first grader, do I know my sounds yet? Yeah, like, how are you thinking about their learning um, in this space? It's amazing how much kids adapt and
4: learn. Like, I think this year alone is going to make their technology skills in tenfolds better than they ever would have been. Um, My goodness sakes, I like, literally they came back and, you know, we usually, I have to teach them how to do centers when they first come in and using the computer and, and they had been online for the first three weeks. And it was like, they knew they're like, I know how to get to Epic. I know how to get to IXL math. I know how to do this. I'm like, this is amazing. I don't have to show them how to do anything. So, I mean, in that way, they are going to have technology skills. beyond what we could teach them. I mean, because they had to adapt and it's crazy how Well, children adapt when they need to. Mm -hmm. Um, As for learning, yes. I mean, are they getting as much as they would at school? No. I mean, we just don't have the time, but have I seen so much growth in them too? Oh my goodness. It's amazing. You know, I try to read at least, I have three different groups. I try to read with at least three kids in each of those groups every day to make sure that they're still reading. Are are they still learning? Um, So it is amazing how much they still
5: can grow online. Yeah, that's been the major question about, you know, what are we learning about their learning? Um, Are you finding the same thing, Holly, about their learning? I am.
3: I have one little girl that her mom works third shift and she's five years old. And so she's figuring this out on her own. And she has learned to voice to text me and let me know if she's having problems logging in or I'll get a FaceTime from her. I think that's pretty impressive for a five-year-old to problem solve that way. Yeah,
5: because I can't do that. And I'm certainly yeah. not
3: five. <laughs> I'm so far past five.
5: You ain't even talking about it. <laughs>
3: And I agree with what Libby said too, spot checking, doing those little check-ins with the different kids. So not with everybody every day, but with this child, I'm going to check on this and this skill and make my little notes and drive my instruction that way. And then with the next group, I'm able to do the same. And I think most of us have divided our kids into three different groups. So we have a group that we're ready to push and move forward and challenge. And then we have the group that still needs the core instruction, but they can also get that extra intervention. So um, I feel like that's been a blessing, Um, just like the small groups we would work with in class, we're able to do that online as well. So that's worked out pretty well.
2: Yeah, we have divided our learning, what we call it our learning delivery schedule. I think we learned a lot from being online last spring. And this, this fall when we developed our learning delivery schedule, we decided that we would start every morning with a morning meeting, which is whole class whole group so it's you know up to 24 kids sometimes more if it's an online teacher and then what we did is took our the rest of our day and broke them into small groups so the teachers have three groups for reading that they meet and then three groups that they meet for math so the teachers are online all day long from starting at nine o'clock till 3 30 um, meeting with students and but delivering the actual instruction in those smaller groups seems to be much more beneficial than trying to deliver instruction to a group of 24 students where you sometimes can't see all their faces, you know, on the screen, all those kinds of things. It's, you know, with this age group, it's really important to have that interaction to be able to see their faces, see if they're responding, make sure they're still on the screen. Cause they, you know, they, I've been doing a lot of um, observations in the last three weeks and, it's, it's amazing to watch what these teachers are doing all day long. They're constantly reminding students, um, nope, honey, come back to the screen. Nope, remember, we can't leave. We can't leave the learning area. Um, nope, you can't have, you know, you can't go get another snack. You can have a snack as long as you can stay at the computer and eat while we work. Or, you know, honey, you need to sit up because you're starting to fall asleep. Sit back up sit back, you know, um, so, and in, in that's in between, you know, tell me what sound this is. Okay, what sound do you hear here? What number is this? You know, it, it's just constant. It's constant talk. I mean, there, there's instruction, but there's constant also um, management type things going on. So there's still well. classroom management, um, even online, because, huh? <laughs> right, exactly. You know, and you know, our, our homes and our households are, not large homes, not large households. So it's, you know, sweetie, you gotta can you pick up your computer and go back over to your bedroom because you know you the TV's too loud in the background. Mm-hmm. Or I, are you sitting next to your sister again? Because now I'm hearing all I can hear is her teacher. <laughs> you know, can you move away from can you move away from your sister? You know, those, this is all the right. stuff that they're trying to problem solve with kids. And they're there it's such a kind and loving um rapport that our staff has with our students and you know they're just they're trying to be as kind as they can but there's a lot going on in the household yeah. around these kids and the kids are trying their hardest to learn and it, it's amazing to watch it really is
0: well just to to circle back about the schedule so the the teachers are teaching all day are the students online all day or do they come in and out if they're they not come
2: in, they come in and out. So the students are scheduled for two 45-minute sessions, one for reading, one for math, and then a 30-minute session in the morning, which is their morning meeting where they do some math work and they also do a lot of community building, their character ed, that kind of thing. They kind of get the kids set for the schedule of the day. There's also online intervention that's provided. So some kids might come back on with a, a peer professional to get extra reading support. Um, Clearly, if students get any kind of special education services or speech services, they can get back on with those providers throughout the day. We also try to just keep in mind that these kids are five, six, and seven. We don't want them on the front of a screen all day long for six hours. You know, we want them to have, that's one of my big fears is that these kids are just, you know, as it was, our kids were getting addicted to screen time and, Boy, now they're on screens. So we're just trying to balance that amount of sc- screen time, too. I was
5: wondering you mentioned your morning meeting, and I was wondering about um, how students are building relationships with their peers. How is that going?
2: I mean the teachers could probably speak more to that. I know you do a lot of math during that time too, but I also know, you know, especially at the beginning of the year, starting the school year online, That was a concern of how are we going to build community um, amongst our our class when we don't know each other. You know, it was one thing to do it in the spring when everyone knew each other and then we went online, but to start online. um, But I also know some of the things, you know, for relationship building, almost every one of my teachers has gone to all their kids' houses at some point or another. Um, to either take a prize, or just drop something off, or just say hi, or whatever it might be. They're they're out in the community all the time, but you guys could probably speak better to how you're building classroom community.
1: Think about the opportunity we had at the beginning of the school year, or even through the summer, because we're still connected to our kids somewhat, but it wasn't just about coming back remote. We were coming back to kids that we sort of knew from the year before, or maybe we didn't, but it was not just the pandemic of, of the coronavirus, but also just so much social um, justice rhetoric, not understanding what our students that are so young maybe understood. Um, what were they being told in their homes? Do they know that we love them no matter what else is going on? So I think our teachers not only thought about that distance with remote and like, how am I gonna help them learn? but um, particularly Libby and Holly and their colleagues are doing a great job of navigating all kinds of tough questions um, in a very short span of time. Um, and that, that to me has been like a point of pride for us in our district. Uh, and at Godwin Heights, we sort of say like, We're Godwin family and, you know, we're this great diverse place, but I would say over the last few years, um, each of us have invested personal learning and then kind of group learning around what that really means and how the times that are more, um, that we are all more aware of, right, Um, how that really plays an impact in the role we're, we're doing in our classroom, the role we have in our classroom.
5: Are you seeing those things come up? Are you seeing your students ask you about some of the racial issues and some of the uh, social issues um, as a p- kindergartner or a first grade in their own way? Um, well, I,
4: per, like in first grade, I actually do... Um, Uh, a book series with about slavery and segregation and we talk about that like I mean it's children book you know like about Harriet Tubman and I'm reading like Henry's Freedom Box to them right now and so we do bring those things up and usually like they don't know what a slave is they've never heard of that before. You know, some of them have, but a lot of them are like, no, what's a slave? And we talk about that. And I I make it a purpose to always do those, that book series with them, because I think it's important that you talk about, this did happen and I know these are sad books, um, but Miss Closer reads these to you because I want you to know that I never want this to happen again. And I want you to know that it doesn't matter what color your skin is. We all have different color skin and that's okay. What matters is the inside. If, if you're kind, if you're loving, um, we just have those conversations. And I know they're first graders, but like, it's amazing how well they handle that. And they'll have, and they'll say things like, yeah, my best friend's Emmanuel and he's black, but I love him. And I'm like, exactly, honey, it doesn't matter those kinds of things. So it's amazing when you open up the conversation to kids, what will come out and how they feel and how um, what they learn from that. Um, so I know in my class, because we're talking about that right now and I make it a purpose that those topics do come up. Um, I mean, when it comes to like the whole COVID thing, I mean, I have had kids talk about COVID and how they're scared and, you know, things like that. And we talk about, you know, you know what, you're safe right now. You know, you're at home right now, or you're, we're just together in our classroom. We're safe here. Miss um, Closter's here to help you. Don't worry. It's not a big deal. Um, but things do come up. I mean, they hear things at their house and- so you just have to make sure that they do feel that safeness, they do feel that community, whether they are online or whether they are in the classroom.
3: And sometimes it's just a matter of giving them that extra time to talk. Sometimes after our morning meeting number corner, it's time to log off, but you can tell that somebody's trying to get one last word in and trying to share something and that just happened last week. Uh, one little girl's dad is in jail, and that's been a big deal. She hasn't seen him since last June, and so she wanted to talk, give an update on that. And then someone else's great grandma had died, and he wanted to talk about that. And someone else moved into a home, but it wasn't a very clean home, and he was kind of upset about that. And it all happened in one little session, and um, I was almost late for my next meeting because it was more important that we actually had time to talk and they knew they had somebody to listen to besides a family member.
5: Yeah, so encouraging to know that they have a safe space. I think your keywords, both Libby and Holly, was one of safety. You know, um, COVID is scary. You know, um, race is scary and COVID is scary, (laughs) right? And so the fact that they're putting that together and voicing honest feelings about it at such a young age is really promising. And so I'm I'm so happy to hear that you guys are working with them in that way.
0: I'm wondering if, um, what reaction from parents you have? I mean, uh, do parents say, I don't want you talking about that stuff? Or are they, do they trust you? It's really a trust question, right? It is.
4: It is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's definitely interesting. And I think, it, and I've done this book series for, I think three years now, and I have had parents that will come to me at parent teacher conferences and say, thank you. Thank you for talking about this. Um, you know, they'll come back and they've learned so much, or it's amazing, you know, that someone's talking to them about this because I mean, I've, I've seen the opposite in kids too, that like, they say mean things to each other about their race, you know, and then that I can mm-hmm. bring it back and say, "Do you remember when we talked about these books? Do you remember how we talked about that? That's not okay to do that." Um, and so I think, for the most part, I I think parents are actually grateful for talking about these things. Um, and it's and honestly, online I have met more parents than I've ever met in my life, <laughs> and it's 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 really. It's Yay. Crazy. Like, cause you just call, I'm like, go get your mommy, go get your daddy, go get whoever you're taught. I need to talk to them. Whoever takes care of you, go get them. And I just pull them all of the screen. I'm like, okay, this is what they're doing today. Or you got to go pick up stuff at school or you got to do this. Do we have any questions? And I have never met so many parents in my life and I love it. And they love it. I think too, cause they're like, oh, this is your teacher. Oh, this is what you do all day. Um, so, I think that is one really cool thing that's come out from online teaching.
5: We've heard that so much that the barrier of in, not, not just engagement, but actual participation. So, if we want parents to engage, but we want participation, and this idea that now they can participate because they don't have to worry about other factors like transportation and an extra babysitter and a whatever. They can be there and you can go grab them, go get mom, go get dad, go get grandma, go get whoever. So that's fabulous.
2: Yeah. I definitely think there's things from this pandemic that we'll take away that will continue. You know, we may continue virtual parent meetings, you know, with the teacher mm-hmm. in the classroom. Like how much, if it's easier for parents, you know, to sign on and just listen or talk with the teacher that way, then that's something we're going to probably continue to offer Different choices, and obviously there's there's great things about having parents in the building too. I mean, it's it was really difficult at the beginning of the year to tell kindergarten parents they could not walk their child into school for the first day of school, you know, or or even get out of their car. So you know, if there was some definite barriers um, that we had to work through, but everyone, you know, it, it does go down to that trust and relationship, whether it's with the kids, the parents, the families. They have to trust us, and I think our staff does an amazing job of building that trust with our families. And once you do that, they, you know, they don't question the things that you're doing with with their children. They they really trust that you're giving it your best effort and um, trying to do the very best for their kids.
0: So, how do you do that, right? I mean, are there are there specific things, or is that? just a totality of, I do what I, you know, I say, I say, I'm going to do something, I'll do it um, over and over and over. Or is there something specific that other educators could think about replicating? I think it starts with
2: communication. Communicate, 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 communicate. Like if they don't answer, we keep calling. We try different venues. We... Text. We call. We email. We go to their homes. Um, you know, I was distraught today because we were. We have had a little boy that's been trying to enroll in our school, he since November, and we haven't gotten the mom to come in and give us the paperwork. So I finally called the previous school, which is a local school district, and I said, "I'm hoping he's still participating in your district." You know, online oh no, we dropped him back in October. I said, what do you mean you dropped him? You can't just drop him. he That means he hasn't been in school. No, he hasn't participated since last March when we all went online. And I'm like, ah, you can't do this. Like this child has missed so much schooling. Like you can't just give up on them. You know, I'm trying to help a child, a first grader who's on the east side of the state right now. She's still enrolled in our school. She's still participating online, but I'm trying to get her enrolled in the school district in which she now lives. Um, The mom has all kinds of barriers. You know, it's like, I'm not going to just drop her. Um, I'm going to work to make sure she still at least gets some kind of education. Um, But Our parents a lot of times need a lot of help. You know, in order for me to figure out what school district that child was supposed to be in on the east side of the state, I had to make five phone calls and I knew what to ask. You know, I knew what questions to ask who to talk to, how to get the information. But it was like, oh, no, this isn't the right school district. You have to call this school. Nope, this isn't the right school. Call this school. You know, and so I had the perseverance and the tenacity and the knowledge to be able to do that where our parents sometimes don't. You know, they don't have the time. They don't know what to ask um, to get the right answers. So they have to have someone advocating for them. And I think that's something that we do really, really well here, whether it You know, it's in the front office here, it's the teacher level, wherever, the central office. We're willing to go the extra mile for our families all the time.
3: And I think a lot of our families, they did not have good experiences in school. And they've heard, they've had so much negativity in their life. So if we have the opportunity to build them up or to build their child up, I think this was my favorite year ever of conferences and being able to be online and talk with the parents and build their child up and just to see the parents faces glowing, like they were so excited and proud to hear that about their child and whether their child struggled in school or did great in school, everyone has something that they're doing well with. And I think the more we can build parents up and the kids up, they start feeling that trust too. Like, okay, this isn't, they're not trying to hound me for my attendance or hound me for the homework or hound me for this. They're actually on my side.
5: Mm, I like that on my
1: side. I think you can hear it in in all of the comments so far. It's just this teacher heart, this service heart that, um, has kind of a mission to make sure that needs are met. Um, it kind of follows that fine line between empathy and sympathy. Like we don't want any kid to fall behind. So what would Mm -hmm. we want to do for our own? Um, you, you can hear that. And, um, Mary mentioned, it starts with those relationships. Uh, I have a daughter who's a senior right now, but as a preschooler, um, she was with Mrs. Vostad. And as a parent, I sat across from her at a conference with my husband and she made me feel so comfortable. And she said, so what are your goals for your daughter? And like, she asked my input. And I take that back full circle in hearing Holly talk about conferences because as a parent, as a new parent of a school-aged child, Sure, I was a teacher, but, like, I didn't know anything about being a parent. And so, knowing that our staff can sit across or sit through the through the screen and say to parents, how are you doing? What is it you need from us? What are your goals? Like, what do you think about when you see success for your child? Like, that, like, made me think, like, I was empowered to do something about it. Like, it wasn't her job, but it was my job together with her and, and my husband to shape um, shape my own child. So I, I always carry that in my heart because I feel like that's where we're at now. Like, yes, there are standards. Yes, there's success. We've got to, you know, see proficiency grow. But the bottom line is we really need to work together and listening to each other helps us attain that goal.
0: So just like shifting there to, to what you just said about yes, there are standards. Yes, there are goals. What are you thinking in terms of assessment, grading, like all of that? How are you, I mean, I don't know how you think about it. Certainly the kindergarten and first graders, you know, they're not accruing high school credits or anything like that. But are, are you standards-based grading? Are you looking at test scores? Are you preparing for the state assessment? I mean, how are you thinking about that?
1: I think we're concerned about state assessment, but it's not like it's it's um, hmm. I guess I could say I'm not concerned. I mean, I'm concerned. Right. Because it's there. But uh, we're and more I should concerned. just say
0: that Godwin Heights has always done rather well on the state assessments, which is how I got to know you guys. <laughs> it's not <laughs> That's something true. that you That's don't true. think about ordinarily.
1: Yeah, we do. We do think about it. I would say with with the last um, few months, it's become more um, important for us to know our students, to monitor their mental health, to help them see success, and for us to celebrate success. That's I, I've heard several teachers today um, through Zoom meetings or, or podcasts like this, obviously, um, just reminding me that our kids are doing well. The narrative is Deficit, deficit, deficit. Oh, they're behind. Oh, they've missed. That's all we, that's all we hear. Um, and to me, that's just very defeatist. Like our kids are kids of opportunity. We have plenty of good things going on, but we need to see what's in front of us before, before we get so far down that path. Um, they, there's a lot of potential there.
5: Michelle, thank you so much for saying that. Uh, you know, we heard all summer long the numbers of potential loss um, and now the numbers came out and the numbers were not what they predicted them to be. And so that's a point of, you know, it's a point of encouragement and just realizing that we have to stop using that deficit language because the language becomes action. You know, if we speak through that lens and it becomes the frame around which actions then move forward to our children. So I'm so thankful that you said that.
1: And you think about the format in which we're assessing right now. <laughs> it Maybe we have a good connection that day. Maybe we don't. Um, you know, like we're not dragging kids in here to take a state assessment, um, but the rest of the time it's all closed. You know, it, we have to think wisely about um, the purpose to be at school. And this past week, we've just brought in some of our um, students with disabilities or students that are, you know, not necessarily succeeding in the virtual format as much as they would like to, or their parents see it, you know, there's some barriers there. So that was a big step for our school district to have, you know, 30 or so kids right now. And we're, we're thinking about growing that, but we had to start small and see what we could do um, and still stay safe and help some kids reach some goals.
2: One of the mantras about assessment for me has been, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's report card time right now for our, for our building and our district. And, you know, we said, we talked about it. I said to the teachers, please only assess what you absolutely need to assess to know where your students are at. If you already know by not giving them an assessment, don't bother with the assessment. Like we can't afford to give up precious instructional time right now to assess students, especially as long as it takes to do it online um, because it does take much longer to, to do it. So there are, there are only a few required assessments and you know, I said, for, if you're worried about marking report cards, give the parents just the information that you know about their child, you know from interacting with each of them. You know, If every child gets a two that says they're developing, that's okay, it's okay. It's kindergarten, first and second grade. They are all developing. And um, don't spend all of your time assessing, 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 because the, the minutes we have with these kids, face-to-face are just so crucial for instruction right now. And to, to spend all that time where I, I say, waste that time on, on assessment, it's, it's just not necessary.
0: And Holly and Libby, do you feel that your students are progressing toward reading, maybe not quite as fast as they might have in person, but, but you're seeing the progress?
4: Oh, yeah. They're going to be able to read. Oh, yeah. Like like I said, I still read with them every day. Like I take a good 10 minutes at the end of our reading time and whatever I was teaching and writing, i will say, okay, go work on your writing. Um, Michael, unmute yourself. You're going to read this page to me. And I pop up a page and he reads to me and I say, okay, mute yourself. Good job, sweetie. All right, Emmanuel, it's your turn. Unmute yourself, honey. Read this to me. Um, so it's amazing how much they are still learning. They really are, and yes, we still need to do some assessments. Like Mary was saying, she she's been very gracious. Of hey, listen, what do what are the basics that you need? And we just stick to that and do that. And it's 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 amazing how much they are still growing, though.
3: And again, in kindergarten, that's when we're learning to read. So um, again, our groups are divided um, by three different groups. So I had a pair pro in with my top group today. And she sent me a quick little text and said, I am blown away right now. At their reading and writing. And I so needed to hear that because I was tending to compare it to past years or where we are. But that group, I I was, and I had, of course, tell the kids that, um, you know, obviously, like any year, there are some kids in kindergarten that we still don't know our letters and sounds, and we still don't know how to blend words and things like that. So by having these three groups again, we're able to really target those skills and really we might hit on something and move on but we're really spending a lot more time to get them as prepared as they possibly can.
2: We've also made it our mission not to go back and just teach, you know, deficit skills, for example. You know, we we, first grade teachers, Libby can't go back and teach the whole kindergarten curriculum or what they missed from March on. You know, it was, it was, Um, set very clear at the start of this year that we are doing grade level standards and we are offering grade level instruction and we're going to circle back and we're going to spiral back and we're going to pick up all those other skills that the students um, still need because maybe they did miss some things but we're not we can't go back and start over.
4: And that worried me at first, but then it's amazing how if you hold that high expectation, how much kids will meet you at. Um, and then on top of that, then you can just pull small groups. That's what I would do. Okay, my lowbies that don't know their letters or really, you know, barely starting to read. That's when you pull your small groups and you just work with them at their level where they are, and then you just keep working um, whole group with an instruction that you need to be doing.
5: So the whole like accelerate, don't remediate, working. Huh. For the most part, yes. <laughs> I can't <laughs> even believe that. that. When you all pull right. your small groups and you meet
4: that's right. where they're at and you say, all right, honey, you're doing great. Like, let's keep working. And there might be a little bit, you know, lower in their leveled reader than the other group, but that's okay, you know.
1: I'm impressed that that we're trying, right? Like, we've never done this before, so why not try stuff we've never done before or things that we've attempted to do? And so I'm really proud of Holly and Libby and Mary's leadership around, you know, pushing forward and having the playing field leveled as opposed to, you know, just being stuck in the our kids can't kind of mantra. That's that's not worked for us before, and it certainly shouldn't, shouldn't be working now.
0: Well, I think... That's a great way to end this conversation. Thank you so much, Um, uh, and stay safe. And I hope you have wonderful holidays, Um, as as wonderful as anybody's going to (laughs) have this year. The this is a this is a tough time, but the vaccines have started to go into arms as of I think yesterday. Um, So we're. Where there is light at the end of the tunnel, and um, I, I just think the kids in Godwin Heights, Michigan, uh, Godwin Heights school school district in Wyoming, Michigan, I should say, just outside of Grand Rapids, they're very lucky. I've always thought that about your kids um, and your schools. And thank you so much for for joining us today and sharing all these. Really amazing stories. So thank you so much. Thank you. Angie, you love that. Uh, Happy dancing all (laughs) afternoon. I think
5: what's important about the sentiment of acceleration is we recognize students have unfinished instruction, right? They have unfinished teaching and unfinished learning. So the instructional sequence has been disrupted. That's not the loss of learning. It's a loss of instruction. And if you spend significant time picking up where you left off, you create students being behind grade level almost in perpetuity because you're going to always be going backwards to catch up. So if I'm a third grader, well, I'm a first grader, start me in first grade. Right? Like she said, they don't have time to go back and reteach all of kindergarten. Start them where the grade is so that they can then be on grade level and you put in place the necessary targeted scaffolds that you can say, all right, this student needs to learn, you know, a certain type of blend.
0: Sound blend, right. And right? The,
5: the, the diphthongs or whatever, focus on that. Do not go all the way back and bring them all the way forward because, you know, they were saying, I'm reading, kids are reading, they're still learning. They're just not learning in a structured manner. So helping them start at the grade level, but it takes knowledge of where the students need the targeted support and actually in order to provide the right kind and not making the assumptions about what a student needs. So you know that's and that's right. why and they so move you're,
0: forward, you're, right? And the students working at the first grade level, but then you have the paraprofessional meet with them and say, "Okay, let's you know we're going to work on the." Details. That's right.
5: It, or you already mastered them, so I can move you. I can if you're a first grader and you've mastered you know those reading skills, then use the paraprofessional to help them go even farther. Right, and then use the paraprofessional strategically based upon student needs. Right, that's where the assessment comes in because the assessment is knowledge, not punitive. Not just you know we wanna we wanna assess so we can learn what we
0: need to do for children, not assess to say, well, you're not that good at reader. Exactly, no,
5: like because that's so helpful to kids, right? Yeah,
0: <laughs> well, try harder. <laughs>
5: Right. Try harder, Johnny. Yay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're just not trying hard enough.
5: Yeah. You know, if you just read enough books, you know what I mean? You'll get there. But no, they're, you know, they are clear and specific and targeted and they are starting from the premise that kids can, you know, I was certainly most appreciative of, you know, the sentiment that all of this kids are going to be behind kids are going to be behind is deficit and we have to disrupt that deficit language because it is harmful.
0: That said, and I just want to say this again, and I said it in the last podcast, we have been speaking with some of what I consider to be the most effective educators in the country. There are lots of school districts, schools where they're not as thoughtful and thinking about all these kinds of Factors in as thoughtful a way as what we just heard, and um, that's part of why I think this podcast is helpful. I hope this hot podcast is helpful to the field to hear how really edu- effective and thoughtful educators talk about this kind of stuff.
5: Exactly, because it
0: is very easy. I mean, it's just easy to fall into. Oh my gosh, they're so behind, behind, behind. Well. Yeah, maybe. Yeah,
5: you know, maybe. Um, But you know what? They can, but they're still, you know, and you heard me say this if a student doesn't know orange and you teach them orange, you don't get mad (laughs) that they got to learn orange, right? Um, And I I think, and and this is not to minimize um, the reality of the intensity of the work right? is not to minimize that at all. It's to appreciate that. And even more the reason not to go backwards, right? Because going backwards and saying, okay, well, we left, you know, first grade at this, let me just pick up first grade at that and go forward. No, it's, I would think, you know, from an instructional standpoint, let me be clear about what first grade is supposed to be. And let me make sure, you know, to accelerate them into first grade, And like she said, kids are going to go with you. They are there with you. They trust you because they know you know stuff. And they want to learn stuff with you. And so they're more likely, if they believe and trust in you, to go with you than not.
0: Kids love learning stuff. Are you kidding? No. They love learning stuff. It's a a secret. Don't tell anybody. (laughs) (laughs) Don't
5: tell anybody.
0: All right. Well, well, this is our last podcast before the holidays. We're going to take a couple of weeks off and come back in January. Um, Tangi, this has been a lot of fun, and I hope you a have a wonderful fun. holiday.
5: Karen, it's always a pleasure to get on with you and talk to smart people thinking about education in smart ways, and I wish you a great holiday as well.
0: In the, in, in the new year, we're going to change a, up a little bit. We're going to have some Different kinds of conversations that we're, we're planning, some really exciting ones, I think. I'm, I'm very excited. I'll just give you a little hint. Right this minute, there is a lot of excitement about Kizzmekia Corbett. She is an African-American uh, scientist who has been leading some of the most important research behind the Moderna vaccine, which is a revolutionary new kind of vaccine, and um, she's a very hard to to talk to person, but we're going to talk to the person who set up the system under which she learned to be such a fabulous scientist. We're going to be speaking with Freeman Hrabowski III, uh, president of University of Maryland, Baltimore County, who um, decades ago set up a program that would produce scientists like Kizmekia Corbett. So that's just one of the very exciting uh, uh, podcasts we have planned. So that wraps up this episode of the Education Trust podcast, Extraordinary Districts in Extraordinary Times. I want to thank everyone at EdTrust who supports this podcast, including Robin Harris, Nicole Grayson, and Takira Winfield-Dixon, Jack Fleming, and Keith Curry, and thank you to Mike Patillo, who records and edits this podcast through the magic of Zoom from Tonal Park. And thank you to the Wallace Foundation for providing financial support. Thanks and see you next year.